everyone, and welcome to another episode of I Take Bravo Very Seriously. Um, normally these episodes come out on Thursday, but I am releasing this episode a little late on Wednesday because I just have a lot of information that I want to share with you guys regarding Vanderpump Rules and all the associated um, podcasts and information that goes along with it, um, in addition to the premiere that um, came on last night, and I just couldn't wait to share with you guys. So I'm actually going to skip Real Housewives of Potomac and with Beverly Hills coming on tonight and Miami coming on tonight, I'm going to do another bonus episode that'll come out in a couple days that'll just cover those three Real Housewives uh, recaps for this week. So today will be mostly VPR and news of the week. So let's get into the episode. That's my opinion! Okay, so in the past week, Rachel uh, Levis released two episodes of her podcast, episode four and episode five. So episode four was released on January the 26th. Now you're going to see me flip-flop a lot during these episodes and me recapping them, but that's basically because, you know, I mean, I, I have differing opinions, right? Like, I, I don't feel one way about her, and every time she provides new information, I feel a, bit, a little bit differently. And I, I think that's fair. I don't think you have to feel one way about a person all the time. It sort of depends on their behavior and how they answer certain questions. So I'm just going to recap this from my perspective, and I will flip-flop along, and I hope you flip-flop along with me. Um, so on the 26th, she released episode four. So this is where she's answering more fan questions. So her producer says, was all of the drama worth it? And do you regret your time spent with him? And she said it wasn't worth it. She said that like the comments out there, or the producer said that, that like how there's these comments out there saying that she blew up um, everyone's lives and she's not even with him. And she's saying, well, like it's, it's not up to her to be in a relationship with him for everybody else. She doesn't need to do that if she knows the relationship isn't good for her. And in trying to improve upon herself, getting back with Tom would be a step backwards. And I completely agree with that. I think that's actually really smart from her perspective. She can't just, because she blew up everybody's lives. I mean, sort of, we all thought the same, but at the same time, if she doesn't feel like this relationship is healthy for her and she has enough insight to know that, good on her. Um, then the producer says, how do you feel about his treatment of Ariana and how he blames her for cheating? She says, I don't approve of that at all. Tom uses Ariana's mental health against her, which is manipulative. And I completely agree with that. Like when he was making comments to Howie Mandel, like that she had threatened to kill herself if he broke up with him, or sorry, yeah, if he broke up with her and she has claimed that that is not true. So he's really using it as like, I couldn't have broken up with her because of her mental health. And if you see in that last scene with Sheena and him, um, in the finale of episode 10, or sorry, of season 10, Sheena very clearly explains regardless of Ariana's mental health, here's how you could have handled it. And she was completely right. Um, the producer says, you said your relationship with Ariana was for the show and not deep and genuine, but she disagrees. So why do you think you're not on the same page? So Rachel says that when she was with James during the pandemic, she found out that Tom had been having a lot of friends over during the pandemic and she felt like it would have been nice to have been invited. But she felt like well, a lot of people didn't invite them to places because people didn't like James. She wasn't close with the cast at that time. The closest person she was close to was Sheena. And during the pandemic, Sheena had some specifications on who she could and couldn't be friends with in order to allow her into her home. She's referring to Charlie here, and I'm still like not clear on what exactly happened there between Sheena and Charlie, but I digress and hopefully I can get some more information on that for you guys for later. So then she says that season 11, um, or sorry, season nine was very restricted on filming in terms of COVID and that, and that kind of thing. And that was when she started getting closer to Ariana and the rest of the cast because they were filming during lockdown. She says it wasn't a close friendship, but we had warmed up together. The, the nuances of this friendship, I, I mean, it's just so fascinating, but 
Anyways, we'll go on a little bit. So she says that when she and James broke up, she had a conversation with Sheena, Ariana, Jenny Ting, and her friend Paige and explained why she broke up with him. And that's when she and Sheena got really close during that time. And she said that as they were filming, she and Ariana had a few call times together in season 10. So when they went bathing suit shopping and when she was getting ready, Ariana was getting ready at um, Rachel's apartment. So she said she could see how it looks like they had a close friendship. Um... She's asked, do you feel any guilt from how hurt Sheena was from all of this? She said that she did feel guilt when Sheena talked about how the restraining order affected her. She said she worked on this in therapy, but she also said that Sheena assaulted her and there are consequences for your actions. She says it's hypocritical of Sheena to say that she, Rachel, has to take accountability, but Sheena hasn't. But she also says that she understands why Sheena is lying. She's protecting her daughter and her family. She says that because Brock has some domestic violence case in the past and she also is involved in this assault case, it could jeopardize their custody. She went to court, um, this is what Rachel saying, that um, Sheena had gone to court and said that Rachel was abusing the court system, which is not true. Her family had told her to file a police report and to go to the doctor to document that this had happened. And there was a lot of discussion about filing restraining order. Rachel has said, as long as it doesn't go on her permanent record, that's fine. She said she had no intention of serving Sheena that paperwork. It was supposed to be something she had in her back pocket in case um, Sheena became vindictive or Sheena said that Rachel had assaulted her. And she said, if you check the records, nowhere did I upload a photo of that document. TMZ released it. She didn't know they would be looking up uh, court documents. Her mutual friends then started asking her to drop it on Sheena's behalf, so she decided to drop it. And she had tried to make it clear to Sheena that she was dropping it. And instead of believing her, Sheena took a photo of the paperwork that Rachel gave to Andy and Andy gave to Sheena on stage in the season 10 reunion and said that it was fake and not true and that they were going to court anyways. So Rachel said it could have just been done with, but she made a whole spectacle of it and made a statement to the press saying, I lost because I didn't show up. Rachel says that she was already dropping it um, and was not showing up. So Sheena had decided to spin that narrative and she's vindictive. Now, here's the thing. I'm really confused about this because to say that you were not going to serve Sheena and that it was supposed to be something in your back pocket, then that implies that you didn't file it, but it was filed because Sheena had a restraining order against her and it had to be dropped. You wouldn't have to drop it if it was never filed. So I don't understand how there was that lack of understanding between her and her legal team because it was filed. So for her to continue to say like, that wasn't my intent and I didn't do it and TMZ released it, there would be nothing to release if it wasn't filed. Also, when she says that she tried to communicate it to Sheena that she didn't need to show up to court because she was dropping it and Sheena made a spectacle by going, that's actually not correct in terms of how to proceed with court. So just because Rachel says that she's dropping it doesn't mean that it's dropped. Um, the court proceeding still has to happen. And if Rachel doesn't show up, yes, it's eventual, It's um, effectively dropped. But what if Rachel did show up? Sheena's really supposed to just trust her word and the word of her lawyer? No, Sheena did the right thing and her lawyer gave her the right legal advice to show up to make sure that you're there just in case um, and in case this has to go and proceed further and that this turns into a real restraining order. So, but if I'm being completely honest after hearing this story over and over and over and over again, and it is the one thing Rachel has like not wavered on. And, and I know we want to call her a liar and we want to say, well, like, how can we believe her about this when she lied about this? And just because somebody lies about one thing doesn't mean they lie about everything. In my opinion, just listening to her double down on this over and over and over and over again. Do I think Sheena punched Rachel? Yeah. Do I think it was hard? No. Do I think she should have done it? No. Do I kind of get it? Yeah. Do I get why Sheena is lying about it? 
I never really thought about the Brock of it all in his domestic um, abuse past, and I don't know if that would have an impact, but it was very, very clear that Sheena was scared for her family. I mean, you could see that in her eyes at the reunion. That's what this was about. So on that, I understand. Um, so then she gets asked by the producers, have you tried to reach out to her? Or do you plan to? And she says, I don't have many boundaries, but one of them is physical violence and I don't plan to reach out to her. Um, she's asked, did Ken and Lisa know? Which like, why would they know? But anyways, she didn't, she said, she didn't think they knew as much as she thinks production knew. She said they caught us in Cancun once where Tom slapped her on the butt behind Ariana's back and they teased the affair when the trailer came out. She said they are all up in our business and they hear what we are saying and I would be surprised if they didn't know. So this I disagree with. So, yeah, there was definitely signs because, like, everyone on the cast saw signs. But I think at the time, I don't know if it was an article or something I saw, someone on production said, we take the lead from the cast. So they asked Tom, like, have you ever, has anything ever happened between you you and Rachel? And he said no. And then Ariana shut it down as well. And they took direction from Ariana. If Ariana is not making a big deal of it and does not think her boyfriend is cheating on her, there's no story to go with. The producers can't make Ariana care about it and they can't enlist new people to try to break it down. It's Ariana's relationship. And if she doesn't care to pursue it, there's nothing to pursue. Um, she's asked, can you address your behavior towards Katie and her mom in the original finale and have you reflected on how you treated her? Rachel says, I regret how I behaved towards Katie. She was going through her own heartbreak and pain. Seeing your ex with someone else is devastating. To me, it didn't seem real. I lacked empathy for the position I was putting her in. I regret a lot of how I behaved in a lot of those situations. Um, and now this is my fan question. I was so excited that she answered it because I really needed an answer to this. So the, um... Producer says, can you address the thruple comment? And did you really mean it? So Rachel says, Tom and Ariana give off an open relationship vibe. The lines were very blurry. Tom would test Ariana with certain things, like with Rachel being around. She said, there's also that pool scene in Cancun for Sheena's wedding where Ariana went topless and Rachel went in there in her dress and Tom went in there and they were all three in the jacuzzi and it gives mixed signals. Um, <laughs> I disagree. I mean, like, this was a wedding. Everybody was in the pool. Um, you guys are all friends. Why can't three people be in the jacuzzi? Then she also mentions the Ariana and Lala backseat thing while Tom is driving. And then she also mentions how Tom has said Ariana and him check out girls together. So she said, these specific examples make up the concept of an open relationship. And she said, yeah, I did mean it in that moment, which I just think is a whole other level of Delulu I can't even, like, grasp. But this idea of this open relationship is just so fascinating to me from somebody who was in this circle. Like, you were in a pseudo relationship with Tom. You were around them all the time. You were aware they were in a relationship. It's not like you had to pick up vibes or you had to guess something. It was very openly communicated that they were in a relationship, just the two of them. So you could have just asked. I mean, like, you're around them all the time. And... All of these examples that she's giving that make up an open relationship, she says, are all things that happened on the show. And it, again, it just puts me back in this remembering that her mindset is so in the universe of everything being on the show. You really don't have any examples that aren't things that we all saw on the show, right? Like, it's just weird to me. Anyway, um, the next question was, what was the plan if no one found out? Would you have debuted as a couple in the next season? Rachel says, Tom said, look, people didn't like Ariana in the beginning, and then they realized we weren't going anywhere, and they ended up loving her, so it could be the same with us. In his mind, he's gotten away with it before, and he could get away with it again. And she said that it was wishful thinking on her part. 
the one thing they got hung up on is he didn't want Ariana to know when it first started. Rachel felt like it was just better to be honest. She said she almost brought it up to Ariana a few times, but he told her not to. And she was basically just waiting on him to tell her. She said she knew it was her duty, yes, but it was his responsibility as the person in a relationship with her. And I completely agree with that. I mean, they were both in some kind of relationship with her, but he's the one in a romantic relationship with her, which has the implication, even though they have not taken vows, that there will be no infidelity in that relationship. And I mean, if we're really going to take any word of Rachel's or take it with a grain of salt, she has continuously started to communicate that she was not that close with Ariana. Um, the next question that she's asked is, what is it about Sandoval that he is able to have this power and influence over people? Rachel says it was the way he presented himself, like the selfless guy who always rooted for the underdog and giving to those in need. A lot of that is driven by his own ego. She saw it and it was, she saw him as like this kind soul who is giving, but in reality, it was what he wanted people to believe about him. And she was blinded by that. Then she's asked by the producers, you were emotionless at the reunion, but in the last five minutes, there was a huge shift. Why? She says, I was compartmentalizing at the reunion. She said she was really, really taking direction from Tom. It was also super overwhelming with the whole trailer and switching back and forth with the restraining order. She said that Sandoval kept coming to her and telling her to stick to the story and she was trying to keep it cool, but she wasn't able to be emotional because she wasn't being herself. And that's why there was that shift in the final interview. So in that interview, she broke down because she wanted to come clean, but she was still holding back because he was the one person she had left. She had said by revealing these things, she was betraying him. And that was a hard part for her because she thought that um, he would never forgive her. Now, this is interesting because I actually brought this up in my first episode as something that I felt like I still needed to know. Like, I wanted to know what happened when she confessed this to him, right? Like, did they get in a fight? Did Because she did betray him according to, to what he's asked her not to say. And I just wonder what kind of um, rift that sort of caused. And so she explains that he was mad but forgave her and said, don't ever do that to me again. Um, he told her that if you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. That's part of being a reliable person. He said, I've given you so many chances. And if you do it again, I won't be able to be in a relationship with you. And when she told her therapist this, because it was so hard for her, she wanted to talk to her therapist about how she was betraying him. And then her therapist was like, wait, didn't Tom betray you first? And she said that she couldn't see it. And I find this so interesting. So the therapist says, so he asked you to lie when you express you didn't want to. He put you in a bad position with your friends and your reputation. He knew what you were going through with your own heartbreak, but then has said in interviews that she was really coming into her own and, and that's what really attracted him to her. But she says, like, you asshole, you should have just let me be. And she says the biggest way that he betrayed her was recording her without her consent. And I've been saying this from the beginning. Good for you. And I guess I didn't really think about it in this way. So like initially I'm like, yeah, she betrayed him. He asked her to keep this a secret and she betrayed him. But look at all the ways that he betrayed her and he fucked with her. And so it's just so telling that this time that she took away at this mental health facility was so important for her. She even says, I needed that space to gain that, to gain that clarity. And she was not going to get that clarity. I think she said in that first like promo for this podcast of hers uh, before it fully came out that... It wasn't until she put it all down on paper that she saw all the red flags, right? And I just thought that this was so interesting and just such a good episode. So then on the 29th, she gives us another episode. And we got a lot more information here. And in this episode, she continues to um, answer fan questions and the producers are asking her. So the producer says, Rachel, you don't own it. You keep playing the victim. How do you respond to that? 
And she says, and I found this so interesting, and this is sort of where I'm going to be coming from. So I'm going to explain what she said, and then I'll explain how I'm coming from it from that perspective. So she says, there's two things. There's the affair, and then there's the part where I was assaulted, harassed, and threatened, and my life was out of control. You can be two things at once. You can be a perpetrator and take about accountability of those actions, and you can also be a victim of manipulation and assault and harassment. Both can happen to someone at the same time. And that is so true. So I'm sitting here being like, okay, do I like her now? Do I believe her now? But it's not about that, right? Like she's saying like, yeah, I did something wrong and I'm taking accountability for that, but I'm also a victim. So that's why I want to kind of look at it from both perspectives where I'm going to continue to look at the things she said and, and give my opinions, but I'm also going to look at the fact that she was also a victim here too. And we'll get more into that. So then she's asked, did you give Graham to a kill shelter? And she says, I gave him to a breed specific dog rescue. After putting him in training and trying to get him rehomed um, because he had bitten so many people, um, the rescue needed more money to get him a different trainer because the trainer didn't want to work with him. And she said that basically she wasn't really kept in the loop. So she knew that he had attacked another dog, a foster, a grandchild, a mother, a trainer, a new owner, a husband or a wife. But the Golden Doodle Rescue had promised to keep her um, giving up Graham confidential. She says that they could have reached out to her for a donation or her family, but they weren't made aware of the situation. Um, I did actually take a look at this Golden Doodle Rescue site, as I said I would, and it confirms that they are not a kill shelter and they do not kill animals. So I just think, again, it's one of those salacious narratives that will always keep coming up, like the dog was minutes from dying, right? Um, then she's asked, Sheena said you that she put you up in her apartment for free when you had nowhere to go. And then she said, Sheena did not put me up in her apartment for free. She subletted it at a discounted rate, plus utilities, and she took care of Sheena's cat. She goes, I guess I live rent-free in Sheena's mind. <laughs> that was kind of funny, but I also assume somebody told her to say that because she wouldn't come up with something that funny on her own. Um, then she's asked about Lala and how Lala said on her podcast that she is a fan of the show. Rachel says, I didn't watch the show when I met James, and then I started looking into it, but I wasn't a big reality TV viewer. She didn't quite know what the show was, but no, she wasn't a fan. Now, this is really interesting. I thought it was confirmed that she was a fan. I mean, I thought the understanding was that she watched the show. Then her sister invited her to come to Sir or Tom Tom or whatever the venue was that night for New Year's to go see James play. And they went there to meet the DJ and then followed him to a second location. Also, Lala has said that, you know, like when Rachel first kind of came into the group, she, um... They FaceTimed with Rachel's mom and Rachel's mom was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to Lala from Vanderpump Rules. So her and her mom were fans of the show. I thought that this was like confirmed information. Um, so I'm curious to see if the cast will say anything more on that. Um, then she's asked, people think that you masterminded the whole thing. Like, did you? And she said that she fell into the situation. She says that, however, Tom is known to self-produce and he has in the show. She said that he is over 40 now and this is his whole life. She is curious if he orchestrated everything because he'd said to her, like, well, we can be together in next season. So that's a pro, like that's a storyline for them for next season. And he had this motivation behind it that really escalated the situation. Then she's asked, did you see a real future with him? And she said, in therapy, I realized when you're choosing unhealthy men, it's the younger version of yourself um, that you're choosing to heal a wound inside of you. And she said when that registered for her, that her inner child chose this 40 year old, like, God, honey, no. And that was so funny. <laughs> And it just brought me back to that finale with James being like, this is all for Sandoval's 40-year-old little cocky cock? Really, Raquel? And, you know, I mean, she is a beautiful young woman in her 20s, and he is no prize pig. So I, I just thought that, that was really funny that she it really snapped her out of the situation. 
She also says that the way he talked to her parents seemed like a James 2.0 situation. Now we know that James was very aggressive in the way that he spoke to her parents, so I'm actually quite surprised to hear this. I can't picture Tom being very aggressive to parents, but then again, I also remember in the season 10 original finale, there was information that came out or information that was cut, basically that Tom was telling Terry Maloney, Katie's mom, to fuck off and Katie's brother had to get involved in everything, but all of this was cut out of the episode, so I guess it's possible. Um, Then she's asked about her having an anxiety breakdown on air in Havasu in the car. She said that you would normally have that sort of conversation with close trusted friends and she knew that this wasn't a safe group. So she was telling, so in the car at this time, this was in season 10, they were driving to Havasu and it was Katie, Lala, Christina Kelly, and Raquel. And she says, as I was telling them the story of how, she, how I planned to break up with James and that I was going to leave the bring box while he was out of town, um, she didn't go into details as to why they broke up. She said only a few people know that story and she didn't want to tell the world because she didn't want to ruin his life. So I'm going to come back to that in a second. I'm just going to finish this episode and then we're going to get um, into some more detail about what she said there. Um, she said that she was holding herself back and wanted to say more, but she didn't feel safe. So the anxiety built up in her and she couldn't breathe. As they got to Tahoe and Charlie met up with them, she was ready to put what was said behind them. Then the girl started mocking her and poking fun at her while they were filling Charlie in. One producer pulled her aside and said, you need to speak up for yourself. The producer said, it's hypocritical that Lala said she wouldn't let you around her man. So she took this direction for the producer to stand up for herself. She said, looking back, she could barely get the words out because she was so exhausted and felt pressure to live up to this part of her that's not allowing people to bully her anymore. Charlie had then told producers that they wanted to leave and they had stayed up all night talking about it. Um, Rachel had said, like, let's just tell the producers we're leaving. And the producers were like, no, 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 like, you guys have to stay. And they were like, we really want to leave. We really want to leave. And they were like, okay, well, only if you tell the girls that you're going to go meet up with the guys when you get home and also tell Lala that she's jealous that Oliver chose you. And she said she would have done anything to leave, so she did that. Um, Then she thought she was going to get to go home and go to sleep, but they made her go to guys' night. And when she walked into guys' night, she heard, like, Tom looked so excited to see her, but then she heard someone say that producers had told her that Tom was coming, so she was kind of like, what the fuck was that? Um, Then they have her on audio saying that she will go wherever Tom goes that night after the Mondrian, Um, and then after the Mondrian, they went to Saddle Ranch. Um, She said... That night, she told Tom what had happened on the trip, and it was really like the whole world had melted away, and the only person she could see was him. He was really listening to her and understanding her. She said nothing happened that night, but it was such a stark contrast of being harassed to being welcomed and wanted. Something switched in her where her priorities sort of switched, and, you know, she just felt like she just needed to be happy. She's asked, when you went to treatment, people said it was a PR stunt or she was in a spa. Can you speak to that? And she said, well, someone in the facility told people that she was there. But this is really interesting. She said, NBC, Bravo, and Evolution all knew that she was at the Meadows, and they did nothing to prevent the rumor from her being at a spa, which I had heard before. I'm like, why would they prevent a rumor, Rachel? Like, that's not their job to prevent a rumor. But this I didn't know. She says that um, Andy actually perpetuated it by bringing it on to Watch What Happens Live when he said that she must have been medicated at the reunion, and that he asked guests on Watch What Happens Live to guess if if she was at a spa or a mental health facility which I don't remember seeing, but that is really fucked up because if NBC, NBC, Bravo, Evolution, and obviously Andy knew that she was at a mental health facility and then they're playing these games um, on TV about like where she really is, if she's really getting help, that that is really fucked up. Okay, so now I want to get back into what Rachel said um, 
about why she broke up with James. So I'm actually just going to quickly play you a, that clip of her specifically saying that in her podcast. As I was telling them the story of me planning to break up with James and how I had intentions of like leaving the ring box on the counter when he got back from Europe and that all of my stuff was going to be gone and how I felt like that would be the safest way for me to break up with him. I didn't go into the details of why we were breaking up and why I couldn't be with him anymore. And only a few people know that story. And it was also at a time where like, I didn't want to tell the world because I didn't want to ruin his life. Okay, so he did something where it could ruin his life. So I posted this on Instagram and it led to quite the conversation online. To be honest, initially, I didn't think physical abuse, even though obviously, like when you hear something like that, you, you just naturally think physical abuse. Initially, I didn't think physical abuse because Sheena and Lala have been, or, and um, Ariana have been so clearly and just very supportive of James and such good friends with him that I couldn't imagine that if they were aware of this, that they um, would be friends with him or be supportive of him. Okay, so I just want to find something for you guys. Give me one quick sec. Okay, so there was this whole conversation that started going on online on my post, and some people were talking about whether, you know, this has to do with some sort of abuse, and um, Jamie Lynn all over. So Jamie Lynn is best friends with Sheena. She was in Sheena's wedding. She's considered one of these non-playable characters, NPC. You'll see her in the background of scenes at um, on Vanderpump Rules, and uh, she'll also be making some cameos this season in season 11. And she had commented that reactive abuse is not quote unquote even, not all of us approve. And then she also liked my comment when I said something like um, that I felt that Sheena and Ariana would not still be friends with him um, if this is the real reason that Raquel and James broke up, if there was something physical. So I just thought it was interesting that she started following me and then she had said that reactive abuse is not approved and that she's liking comments about abuse. So... I used to listen to her podcast and then she kind of stopped doing it. But then I went and just checked to see if she had any new episodes. And I saw that she had a Patreon episode on December 19th, 2023. And you guys are going to find this wild. So I'm going to play you a few clips from Jamie all over from December 19th, 2023. Something went down that night that was upsetting. Nothing having to do with the venue or emo night itself just with some information I found out by some people that I was there with. And it was really upsetting and it was triggering. I think that's kind of why I've had a hard time podcasting since then as well. Part of the reason, because I don't want to say too much about this. So many people will be like, Jamie, that's not your story to tell. You can't talk about this. But then I've just kind of been wrestling with this in my head because, true, it's not my story to tell. But on the other hand, I think it's every woman's story to tell if it can help another woman, if it can help other people, if it's information that I believe. But when I found this out, I then went up to other people who I didn't realize were mic'd. They were filming Vanderpump Rules that night. And I thought filming was over, 
but I guess people were still miked. And I questioned people about this. So because of that, I'm going to assume or I'm going to hope these things were taken seriously. And I do know there's an investigation going on. So we'll see where all of that goes. What I found out is worse than cheating. And it was really, it was just disturbing on many, many levels. Ugh, I wish I could just talk about it, but I unfortunately have a thing where I can't talk about it. But the truth is, I would prefer the investigation to work its course. And if something is meant to come out, if they find that these things that I was told, if it's all true, then that's one thing. But if they're not true or if they're exaggerated or if some is true and not all of it's true, I don't want to ruin anyone's career or life if it's not true. More people found out. More people know about it because of this investigation that's going on. And I actually got a phone call from Bethany Frankel. I talked to her for about an hour. She knew she was told about this. She's aware. And it was interesting because I spoke with Bethany prior to her podcast that she did with to reach out to Rachel. And I was like, you know what? Just give it a day. See if you still feel the same way tomorrow. And if you do, then maybe do it. The next day came and the next day was her podcast with Bethany that was released. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea that was coming out. And I, then I didn't want to text her that day because I just assumed she would be getting swamped with DMs and anything on Instagram. And that episode did not go over very well for her, I don't think. I didn't want to add to any more any more stress that perhaps she was going through at that time. So I was like, okay, well, now is not the right time to reach out. So then finally, November rolls around. I still had felt this nagging feeling the whole time to reach out to her. And you're probably wondering, like, why? Why do you want to reach out to her? So just to clarify, I believe people can have empathy and still not agree with what someone did. Once I found out these things at emo night, and if they're true, and I happen to know some of them are true, but I don't know if it all is true. But even if just the things that I happen to know are true, I mean, that's enough for me to then have a lot more empathy and look at the situation a lot differently with what sort of mental state Rachel was in when she filmed last season and when she made really big mistakes. I don't make excuses for another person, but I'm now at the point where I don't want to judge someone. Yes, I could still have Ariana's back if she wants me to. Who knows how she feels if I'm saying oh, I have empathy. I don't know if other people can understand this viewpoint of mine or not, but that's fine. What I said to Rachel in my text that I sent in November was that I had found out new information and it made me see the situation a little bit differently from a different perspective. And I feel like I should have given her more grace actually. And I apologized for the podcast episode that I did with Kale if that caused her any more stress at the time. Again, I know people are not going to understand this and they're going to be like, she brought it on herself. She deserved it. She's a terrible person. She hurt Ariana. She hurt Sheena. All of that. And what I also told Raquel was like, I didn't intend to even discuss the affair on my podcast. 
it wasn't my business, in my opinion. But then when the whole restraining order situation happened and my best friend was dragged into it and she couldn't really speak on it at the time, I just wanted to have her back. That's what I do. Okay, so maybe I'm speculating, but I think this is wild. So listening to these clips from Jamie all over, she's saying that they were filming on emo night, which we know was going to come up in season 11, and that night was July the 7th. And she's saying that something, she found out information on July the 7th, something that is worse than cheating, that all of the cast knows that a lot of people know. She's saying there's an investigation going on involving Vanderpump Rules, and she's saying that Bethany Frankel is involved. And she's also saying, just sorry, I'm putting all of this together. I'm putting all of these two pieces together and I'm just going to keep saying them out loud and bear with me as I do like the, the murder board <laughs> sort of in my mind. But what, what I'm picking up here is, and she's also saying that, you know, this isn't my story to tell, but how do I protect women if I don't tell the stories and it every woman's story to tell? That's the kind of language you use when you're talking about physical or sexual abuse or both. So... We Again, we know there's an investigation involving Vanderpump Rules. We know new information came out on July the 7th at Emo Night, but I doubt this will actually come out on the show. But we know that there was some information found out on July the 7th at Emo Night that is worse than cheating, that involves an investigation of Vanderpump Rules, that involves Bethany Frankel, and that involves Rachel. Because this all came out of Rachel making that comment, like, that she broke up with James for a reason that could ruin his life. And we know that Rachel is on Bethany's, I don't want to call it payroll, but sorry, she's on her podcast, um, you know, in her podcast world and her podcast trajectory. And Jamie is saying on this podcast that whatever information, um, you know, is going on in this investigation, Bethany is aware of it. And because Bethany is involved with Rachel and because Rachel made a comment about James, doing something that could ruin his life, I am making the connection that this investigation involves James. Now, I, I've done some digging. I've done some Reddit digging, and a lot of this stuff has already been out on the internet, but I just want to put this out there anyways. So, okay, first of all, we all know that there was allegations that involved Kristen Doty, right? So we saw at Sheena's first wedding way back when Kristen punched him in the face. Then we saw, or sorry, we heard that he then pushed her into a bush and that this information was cut. And we've known about that for a while. And then Kristen had alluded to some other allegations in her book. And um, then Your Moms Are Watching. This is back, oh God, this was years ago. But um, she had posted, I'm telling you guys, the James stuff, the James abuse stuff is going to come out. Sorry, this was from this uh, last year. Maybe that's even the bombshell that Raquel tells Andy James hit her when she bumped her nose. All I know is Kristen stayed at my friend's house one night because James hit her. She was hiding from him. True story. I think when Kristen refers to it will all come out um, about James, that is what she's referring to. And Kristen had actually responded to that and said, I can confirm that this is true. Now, we haven't heard anything else from Kristen Doty in this regard, but think about this. Kristen has been unemployed for quite some time after her whole racism scandal and being fired from Vanderpump Rules. And now she's been given another contract to do the Valley on Bravo. And despite how badly it seems that Bravo has treated her by literally cutting out information involving abuse, um, this is what she wants to do with her life, right? So it's it's so sad to me that it's it's seemingly that she is no longer interested in coming out because she wants to keep her job or she wants to have a job. Um, so these are some other little things that I've picked up on Reddit. So 
there's something posted that said, so not only did Bravo know about James abusing Kristen, they covered up other abuse on the show, and LVP knew about James and protected him because she is friends with his parents. James headbutted Raquel in a coke-fueled rage. This is all alleged, but from a source that is close to the show and her tea is always 100. So maybe that's what this is, right? Then there's this other post that says, I was at, an, at LA Pride when they were filming season eight and saw Kristen in the street near Sir, very upset and speaking very loudly to someone she was with about him being about him hitting her. I commented on a post and mentioned it back then in a VPR group and got attacked and basically driven out of the group for spreading damaging rumors, but I legitimately heard it with my own two ears because I was walking right behind her. I also thought it was very weird how they completely edited her out of this of the season eight Pride episode because she was there. I mean, it really seems like Bravo is making a concerted effort to hide information regarding James. So I don't know if you guys will also recall, but at the season 10 reunion, we were also like blinded by Scandival that we sort of ignored this, but Sandoval had brought up an incident where um, James had ruined a joint gig that him and Schwartz had in Atlantic City, where he allegedly slapped a waitress on the butt. According to Sandoval, the woman was forced to sign a document by who he doesn't specify, promising she wouldn't sue. Of course, everyone is so furious at Sandoval, who clearly only brings this up to draw heat away from himself, that no one really cares about this alleged sexual assault incident. Cohen doesn't even interrogate um, James on it further, and Maddox tried to compare Kennedy's actions to Sandoval's consensual affair. Noticeably, Kennedy, not Schwartz, deny the allegation. The mood suddenly becomes dark. So did this happen? Did this not happen? Then I have this one other uh, Reddit post. It says, what has... James Dunn that Jax is alluding to. This is from four years ago. It says, in the most recent episode of The Bitch Bible, great podcast if you haven't listened before, Jackie the host, Jackie Shimo, is interviewing Jax. During the podcast, he alludes to the things James has done that he can't discuss because he wants to protect the show slash the network. Jackie confirms she knows what he's talking about, but she obviously can't disclose it either. I believe Stassi might have mentioned it on one of her podcast episodes as well. Does anyone know what he's done? And someone commented, James had sex with Lala while she was blackout drunk without her consent. She woke up and saw a condom wrapper and he told her he banged her. It's gross. James should be really thankful Lala brushed this under the rug. And I was like, what? So the person had linked this article. So this article is from Jezebel. And this was published by Kara Brown, Jezebel.com, December 15th, 2015. So um, Lala had done a podcast called the Nick Ritchie podcast from on December 14th, 2015. And this is an article about that podcast. Now I couldn't find the actual podcast because it was nine years old, so it may just not exist anymore. So it says Vanderpump Rules cast member, or sorry, the title of the article is Vanderpump Rules, Lala Kent said she blacked out drunk. The blackout drunk sex she had with James wasn't rape. What a headline. So the first question, she, or the first point she makes is, well, let's not get it twisted. Was I ever, like, sexually attracted to James? No. We had a lot of fun. I could stand to make out with him. Nick Ritchie, the podcast host, says, so you never slept with James? Lala says, we fucked one time. I was so blackout drunk, I don't remember one thing. All I know that everyone says that, but I will say I take accountability for every single one of my actions, and I'm owning that now. Because I saw the condom and the wrapper, so I know that something happened. Nick Ritchie says, yeah, but that's classified as rape, too, in some countries. Lala says, well, in some countries, but I'm not screaming rape. It was obviously, and Nick Ritchie says, what? It was obviously what? Consensual? How could it be consensual platonic sex if you don't remember? And you wake up and you see a condom? Lala says, yeah, well, he was like, babe, we slept together last night. And he was like, we got in your shower too, babe. And I was like, how the fuck do we both fit in there? Like my shower is two by four. So this is super disturbing. This article goes on a little bit more. Now, to me... I'm just going to say this, this seems like clear-cut rape. Despite the fact that Lala doesn't feel violated, 
she wasn't aware that it even happened. She needed to be alerted the next day that the sex actually happened. Therefore, you're not capable of consenting if you were so blacked out that you weren't aware that it happened. Now, I know that people say that they black out all the time and that they get drunk all the time and that things happen. But if it's to the level, like if you're so drunk to the level that someone needs to tell you that you had sex the next day, you, you weren't able to consent. How, how could you? Because if you didn't know what happened the next day, you weren't consenting to it the day before because then you would have remembered it. Now, some people, I don't know how to say this. Well, I guess even for myself, I w I'll, I'll, I'll use the word uneducated. I was uneducated when it came to sexual assault and what that really meant for a really long time until I got myself more educated. And you may recall uh, my Potomac episode from a couple weeks ago um, where the episode was about um, Karen's involvement in the PAVE organization, which um, is trying to prevent silence against violence against women. And in that episode of Potomac, um, a lot of the women were speaking to the producers and, and giving their stories of sexual abuse in their past. And Candace had said something like, it wasn't until years later when I understood that what happened to me was abuse. And that is so interesting and so true because so many people are just not aware of what abuse really is until maybe they're older or later on in life. And then they look back at something and think, oh, wow, that's what that was. So I found that article to be super, super disturbing. Um, and based on the information that I've received and that I've reviewed, to me, it seems like there is an invest. Well, we know that there is an investigation going on, according to Jamie Allover. We know that Bethany Frankel is involved, as I said. But I'm going to say that I believe this investigation involves James physically and possibly sexually abusing um, cast. And I'll just leave it there. Um, so hopefully more on this comes out. I don't know how far into an investigation they are. I don't know who the investigation is against, like which entities. Um, but this sounds like this is going to blow up really big. And um, I'm very curious to see what comes of it. Name them. That what? Name them. Well, name what you em. did was ridiculous. Name them. Uh, not having... Name uh, well Okay, so then Tuesday morning, the Toms, Schwartz, and Sandoval were on the vile files. I'm not going to recap this in full because it was two and a half hours long, and there are just so many great content creators who have posted about it, including uh, Vanderpod recaps. If you want just the recaps of the actual episode, you can follow her um, for that, but... It was just fucking wild. First of all, Sandoval shows up like 45 minutes late, completely forgets about the interview while Schwartz sits there waiting for him. He just, I think he was on something. Um, he, I, I didn't watch, I watched some clips, but I listened to the podcast and a lot of people said to watch because you can really see that he's not quite right. Um, he just continues to go into the same things and have the same sort of mentality and I really like the way Nick kind of pushed him just with every question. He just like, what do you mean by that? Proceed further, right? And we just really pushed him to try to get the answers. And it was funny because apparently they had spent months trying to get this podcast off the ground or get Tom to agree, but Tom couldn't agree to the questions. And obviously he doesn't want to make himself look bad. Um, but it's funny because this podcast made him look so terrible. And I'm so glad that this came out in advance of the reunion because people were, or sorry, um, the premiere, because... People were just starting to get excited and warm up again. And then this just reminded us that he has not grown. So he was saying things like, um, you know, when he saw a girl like Rachel, who like, you know, the whole whipped cream bikini thing, he thought, wow, this girl in her 20s is into me. I'm still attractive. And it wasn't clear whether she actually did the whipped cream bikini thing, but he had to explain that this was from Varsity Blues. And he 
I'm just assuming everybody would understand the reference and it, it, it fell a little flat there. Um, but it's so funny that he said that in comparison to what Rachel has just said on her podcast where she was like, ew, this man in his 40s, like, oh, honey, no. And he's like, yeah, ew, I was a man in my 40s and this, and this young hot 20 year old was into me. So I thought that that was kind of funny. Um, he, he basically said the reason he broke up with Ariana or the reason he did this was because, and he really doubled down, he said that she treated him like shit during their entire relationship. She really talked down to him. He was so depressed. He didn't like himself. Um, okay, though, but, like, break up with her. And, like, then he just keeps going, but it's not that easy. And I've just, I think I've said this before on the pod, like, or just in life, like, what do you mean? Like, it's not that hard to break up with someone. And, yeah, you may be tied into them with businesses and, and homes and things like that, but so is everyone. Everyone who has to get divorced has to split assets, has to go through those kinds of things. I mean, Lala had her podcast initially with Randall. I don't know if you guys recall, but it was initially called, um, what was it? What's, what's her podcast called again? Uh, Give Them Lala with Randall, right? And then she, when they broke up, she ended up having to pay him out for a year for their contract um, for the podcast. So there's always going to be business complications, housing complications, all of these kinds of things. It's not a reason not to break up with someone. And if you go back and watch, um, I think it's a season two reunion, He's like yelling at Kristen, or season three, he's like yelling at Kristen being like, I tried to break up with you, I tried to break up with you so many times. What does that mean? Nobody like doesn't allow you to break up with them. So he has now been in like 15 years worth of relationships, if you look at him combined with Kristen and Ariana, where he just doesn't know how to break up with someone. I just find this concept really, really bizarre. Um, he also said that like, he really, like, like, to, Nick was asking him like if he wants peace and then he starts going into this whole thing about how he does want peace and his mom has this Christmas tree and she always puts this Tweety Bird on it and hides it because it's ugly but he'll rub it on his face and honestly I just think this guy was high like this whole thing was just super bizarre and wild um when it comes to the house he said that they bought the house for 2.050 million um and when he offered to buy her out, he said, first of all, she's not suing him. It's just a, like a petition to the court to expedite what's going on with the sale of the house. Um, he said that the offer that he gave her was not shit, that, that it was 3.1 million. But that's confusing to me because if you have 3.1 million, go buy another house. Like, what is it? But he's, his explanation is like when... Ariana's mom and dad got divorced her mom kept the house and when my parents got divorced my dad kept the house somebody always keeps the house and that's not always true he's literally sitting next to Schwartz who him and Katie have sold the house but yes sometimes people keep the house but sometimes people sell the house and I love how Nick was just you know even if like he's basically trying to be team Ariana but also trying to stick up for her even if she's being petty and he said yeah maybe she's being petty by saying you get it at the house so what if she's being petty doesn't she have the right to be petty and he's like well, yeah, I guess, but I just, what I want for her is to just let me go. Leave me alone. Don't worry about me anymore. Don't think about me or talk about me anymore. And it's just, that's the clip I ended up putting on my, my Instagram to kind of show that this guy is just so still not taking accountability and not in the right mind frame. But sweetie, Ariana hasn't been talking about you, honey. She had just performed on Monday night, her premiere as Roxy Hart um, in Chicago on Broadway She's doing Dancing with the Star. She's doing a million other things. I have not heard one interview or comment that she's made about you. But you can see how much resentment he really, really still holds towards her. That was really obvious in there. Um, and then the best part, the 
because they had to give listener advice. This is normally something Nick does, but like you don't pick to do this with two guys who literally are the worst with women. So this caller calls in basically to say that she had a couple of dates with a guy before the holidays and because of the holidays and he was going away, da 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 da, things just sort of fell out and what should she do? And Sandoval's like, okay, like, invite him to something where all of his friends are there. And Nick's like, why? He's like, so you can see the people that he's around, right? Like, you want to know the kinds of people that he's around. He's not even grasping the concept that this, what the reason that this girl is calling is because she may never get to even speak to this guy again. She's trying to debate of whether she wants to be bold and reach out and go on another date with him. So this idea of, like, going out with friends when this guy may never speak to her again because they went on two dates, like, a month ago irrelevant it's, it's just wild these these two guys are just fucking wild and it he is just being torn up on the internet and i've just been enjoying every piece of it but that's sort of all i'll say about um the toms and the file files but i have to say like a two and a half hour podcast is really long but i really encourage everyone to go listen to this it, it can't even be described on a podcast it can't even be described in a written transcription you really have to go watch and or listen for yourself like wild times wild times and that's God, what you why is it about on. the damn pasta get over the damn pasta read between the f-ing lines it ain't about the pasta it's not about the pasta it's not about the pasta Okay, let's get into the season 11 Vanderpump Rules premiere. So we have James and Allie in their new house. They live by the airport. We see Tom Schwartz with his millions of plants and saying that they are his only friends. I thought that that was really funny because, like, you know how they say that an alcoholic shouldn't have um, a relationship for a year and that they should have plants first and then a pet and if they can keep those things alive, then they can go into relationships? So just seeing Tom amongst his millions of plants where he has no friends or relationship just kind of made me feel like that was his first step. Um, then we see Katie going to Ariana's house and she's like, oh, I love your hair. Katie has cut her hair short, which we have all seen since last summer and she looks fucking fire. They talk about um, getting something about her design by Nancy Myers, production designer and how they brought Penny on to do their menu and to be the COO. Um, Ariana says that Tom is out doing a competition show in New Zealand and that's why he's not there. So that was Special Forces, which I recapped with my friend Amber on Breaking the Rules Pod. So you can go definitely take a listen to those episodes over there um, if you didn't get a chance to watch Special Forces. Um, Ariana said, So when three months ago, when Tom blew up our lives, she wasn't prepared to be kicked out of her house and start a new life. So they have this no-contact policy where they live in the same house, but... um, If she ever needs to come and go, they do that communication through his assistant, Anne. By the way, if anyone has not found Anne yet on Instagram, Anne is fucking hilarious. I'm obsessed with Anne. She just started a new podcast with one of the girls, um, I think Amanda from The Vile Files, called We Signed an NDA, and it's about being assistants in Hollywood. And I'm just so excited for her. I think that is so funny. So definitely follow Anne. Um, So then she's sort of saying to Ariana, like, so he wants to buy me out and stay here so you don't have to move and I do. So we were just sort of talking about this in terms of the vile files and even if she, I don't want to even call this petty, right? Because she didn't have an expectation to all of a sudden one day pick up her dog, pick up her cat, pick up her life and find a new place to live. He did this so he should leave the house. I'm sorry. That's just 
like, even if he's saying that in my parents' divorce, this happened, or in her parents' divorce, this happened. Those are divorces. Those are, those two people have agreed to divorce. They've signed divorce papers, meaning they both agree. Ariana didn't agree to this. Keep that in mind. So then she's talking about how Rachel had sent a postcard to the house with lightning bolts all over it, which we all saw. Um, and she says that he's, Tom, being so petty that he had his assistant glue the penis flute back together. Because as you'll recall, when cameras picked back up last year, um, there was that scene at Ariana's house where she's telling all of her friends what had happened, and Logan um, breaks the penis flute that they got in Mexico in probably like season five or six. Um, then we see James and Allie building Ikea furniture in their backyard. Uh, James says that it's funny that he has a pool now when he wasn't invited to Tom's pool parties all the time and he was also sort of kicking or like not really having James as much a part of the group. Allie asks, is there a world where you could be friends with him again? And James says, well, I haven't even heard from him. And then he's talking about all these, um, all the performances that he saw little clips of Tom doing where he's performing with Tom Sandoval and the most extras where he's talking about Raquel and phone falling out of the pocket. I actually forgot about that. I remember him saying things like in his music, like Raquel is hot for me or not for me, but actually making comments about the phone falling out of the pocket and saying things like Schwartz doesn't have like a homeowner, a homeowner's lawn. So it's funny in retrospect, when you, when you think about him being on the Tom or sorry, on the vile files and he's sitting there so destitute and upset about everything that's happened. But dude, you were playing into it just as much. You were doing it on stage. Um, so then they talk about how Tom's friend Allie died and how Sheena said that she had reached out to Tom um, when Allie died and said, you know, if there's anything that you need, please let me know. And that he blocked her. He, po- he blocked her podcast, her sister, and as well as Summer Moon. Um, Sheena said that Kyle, and she's talking to Brock in this scene, she said that Kyle, and I'm assuming this means Kyle Chan, told her that Raquel is still in her facility and she's been there for 45 days and then extended for another 30 days. Then we see a scene with Lala and her mom And I just love their relationship. I think her mom and her family are such amazing people because she's saying that her mom picked up her life in Utah to come to LA and basically help her raise Ocean. And her brother Easton has done the same. And now they all live there together and they all raise Ocean together. And I just think that is so beautiful. You know, when your daughter goes through this just terrifying, upsetting, horrifying situation and you just, you just be her mom and you be there. I just love Lisa. Anyway. Um, she says that she wants the custody situation to wrap up soon, but it's still temporary. She says that, she doesn't name him, but she says, like, Randall's biggest thing is that he won't give Lala full say because he doesn't want her to put Ocean on the show, but he wants to give her say when it comes to education and health. And Lala's like, that's all I fucking want. I don't need her to be on the show. So that's kind of interesting. Um, that's how narcissists work, right? Like they just want to take power from you wherever they can. So if it's with regards to her being on the show, then he's going to be like, she can't be on the show. That's, that's Randall. Um, she says that she was fixated on the custody battle last year. And so she had to put her own feelings on the back burner, but now she's sort of needing to deal with those emotions. And she said that she cries all the time. And in order for her to heal and to be a good role model, she has to go through the emotions. She tells her mom that she questions Ariana's new man and what his motive is and that it's sort of weird and that she sort of just questions everybody. And it's so clear that we really missed out on seeing what was going on with Lala last year because everything was so focused on Raquel and Tom and Ariana that we really, you know, almost forgot that at the exact same time, Lala and Randall broke up and she had to pick up her whole life and change it. And it's been really emotional on her. And you can still see how much that weighs heavily on her. There is no doubt in my mind that she was so head over heels in love with that man, despite being blinded by so much that was going on. And that's why 
the way this all played out and the fact that she has this child from this man that she's never going to speak to again and has done so many horrible things to her, I think that just really rocks her. And it's really, really hard for her to get over. Um, then we see James and Tom Schwartz meeting up for a drink. Um, Tom gives James a plant as a housewarming gift and a candle, which is funny because Tom's new thing is his plants. Tom says it's the first time he's worn the Schwartz and Sandy's hat out in public for a while because he was worried about getting a boo. Um, and he says that Sandoval had campaigned so hard for the name and he said that when you do that, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. So this is like Tom, for the first time, really, just completely ripping into Sandoval. And he's telling Schwartz that, you know, Schwartz and Sandy's basically became the scene of the crime. People were harassing servers. It was toxic. Um, people had quit and their numbers were going down. And Schwartz said, like, that he had told Sandoval, like, after all this hell, you better spend the rest of your life with Raquel, which is what we had just talked about, right? Like, after all of this, you guys better end up together. But as Rachel said, that is not her responsibility, and I completely agree. Um, Schwartz goes into more things that he had told us last year, where his last year was awful because of the bar, his brother, his brother's health, his father's health, and he felt like he was a pariah in the group. And James said, I know the feeling. Um, he thanks James for giving him empathy. And he said that he's happy to be a good terms with James despite his teeny tiny kiss with Raquel. He said that he is not um, Tom Sandoval and he did not have sexual relations with that woman. That was funny. I did post that on Instagram. Um, by the way, just in, in terms of the rest of this episode, I, I am just going to keep recapping and not really refer to James in any specific like good or bad capacity. Despite all the things I said earlier, I'm just recapping this episode. And if more information comes out, I will obviously alert you. Um, so James says that he is sober. Um, and he said that Ali didn't give him an ultimatum. It's his decision, but he still smokes weed all day. <laughs> okay. That's James in his California sober. Um, Tom tells James that he doesn't want to make Ariana uncomfortable, but he knows that the girls are going to be at Tom Tom the next night for James's set. Um, James says that he had invited all the girls. So he's kind of nervous to go. Um, then we have a scene of Ariana and Sheena meeting up to go to a spa and they talk about Dan and how he's really good with kids. So Dan is Ariana's new boyfriend. Um, so Ariana says that she met Dan 10 days after everything had happened at a wedding in Mexico. So we had all seen that online. Um, she says he's a personal trainer and bartender and he lives in New York. So they're doing the long distance thing. Sheena says she doesn't think Ariana has fully processed the trauma of Tom, but as long as Dan doesn't sleep with one of her friends, he is a step up. <laughs> she is coming in with some good lines this, this episode. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Do I think Ariana was ready? I mean, probably not. But the way that she describes it, which I believe was on a Call Her Daddy and, and some other, you know, comments or other posts or podcasts, you have to remember that the way we see things is not the way things always actually happen. So she met him, let's say like March the 10th, something like that. And she had explained on Call Her Daddy that she told him she wasn't in a place where she could give anything. And then he said that was fine. And they just kept talking and talking and talking and talking and texting and calling and calling and texting. And it turned into something, right? And so it was slow because right after that, I think she went to a wedding in England and she was traveling Europe with like Dana and uh, I think it was for Courtney Berman's wedding. Um, so, and Janet was there as well. So they were traveling all over Europe and she was probably just like, you know, texting and calling with him and, and doing all of that. And then eventually they became into a relationship and he seems like a really good guy. So I really do hope the best for her. And I hope that he is a good guy. Um, Sheena says that she's not drinking for three weeks because she's on Zoloft. She says that she's feeling mentally stronger. She was diagnosed with OCD and she was doing well until the affair broke, but it took things to a whole new level. 
and made her question whether Brock would ever do something like this to her and like would Brock do something with Lala and it sort of made her spiral and I didn't know that that was sort of going through her mind like I can totally appreciate how her OCD would have gone out of control given the restraining order because that was so so stressful for her but I didn't know it made her question Brock or think anything would go on with Brock but it does right like when something so unexpected like that happens and you would never expect that from the people around you then what about the people you do still trust like the people that you thought would never do something like that, did it? So why wouldn't the rest of the people closest to you, right? So I'm, that's so sad that she had to go through that. Um, Ariana tells Sheena that she told Tom that she's not going to have a friendship with him, which we all saw in the finale episode. She said that um, when Schwartz did watch What Happens Live and said that people need to go hug Sandoval, she did text him after and blocked him. And her text was something like, fuck you, I'm blocking your number, go suck on Sandoval's dirty ass dick some more. And then Tom clarifies that he did not um, suck on Sandoval's dirty ass dick. But that is a funny ass text. Like, Ariana, good for you. Sandoval did not need a fucking hug. Um, she says that she will go to Tom Tom's for James's set, but she's like nervous to go. But she does not see a friendship there with Tom Schwartz going forward. So then we see Lala and Sheena getting ready together. And Lala says that she wants to create the Ozempic look with a stark contour. <laughs> and Sheena says that so many people have asked her if she's on Ozempic. And she's like, it's not Ozempic, it's Scandal. <laughs> Like, Sheena, you're coming in with the lines. It's so funny. Um, I did actually go on Ozempic and lose a bunch of weight, so good for me. Um, it was not scandable for me. Uh, for me, it was Ozempic, but, you know, for Sheena, it was scandable. Um, then we see Ariane on the phone with Dan, and she's nervous to go to TomTom Tom because she hasn't been there since everything broke. So that was on March the 1st when the phone fell out of the pocket, you know? And it's funny because we've seen her this whole time, like, really thriving and doing amazing, and then we... We have to take a step back, especially it was in this episode where I remember how recent this really is and how hurtful this must be. Um, so everybody gets to Tom Tom, and, you know, Ariana says that she's hoping that she can make new memories there and get rid of the old memories. Um, Tom tries to say hi to Ariana, and he says that she is an ice queen. He says, I understand she has this status now. She's this scorned woman. All hail Ariana. But it's going to be hard for him to make inroads with the rest of the girls. Okay. Um... It's really disrespectful that he's treating her like she can do no wrong and everybody has to hail Queen Ariana. Like, yes, she does have this status right now, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve it. And it doesn't mean that she has to forgive you. And it doesn't mean that it's her responsibility to get you back in with the rest of the girls. And that's when Ariana just starts getting emotional because she's like, this is the seat I sat in the last time I was here. And all the girls hold her hand and she's just really emotional about how the memories have taken over. And I can't even imagine, you know, a bar that she had championed with her partner, with Katie, is just now a complete, you know, almost a memory, right? And it's, it's just really sad to have a nine-year relationship with someone and to be such a supporter of them and all of their businesses and then to be back in that business. I can't even imagine. Then they all do a cheers to the summer of bad bitches. Um, Lala and Lisa go off to the side to talk. And Lala tells Lisa that when Raquel said that Tom was the only person, so this was that final five minutes of the season 10 part three reunion, um, she says that when Raquel said that Tom was the only person she had and she could relate to that, um, that feeling of isolation, you know, that feeling when someone can make you feel like you have nothing without them. And she's like, you know, everything that was said about her being a home-wrecking whore is true. And she's so emotional. She's crying to the camera. She's like, everything that was said about me is true. Everything that was written about me is true. And Lisa said that she thought Lola would be the last person that would have empathy for Rachel. Um... Katie tells Sheena that she wants to trust her 
again, um, with small things like who she's dating, but doesn't want it to be used against her. Sheena says she's sorry. She totally understands the situation and she won't do that again. So I do, I mean, on many levels, but definitely on this level, I think Scandival was really helpful in bringing Sheena and Katie back together. And I think actually Sheena says that somewhere in this episode, that there's nothing that sort of brings you Oh yeah, she says, like, putting aside their differences for Ariana, they two, they have the same two common enemies, so it's easier to get along. And that is so true in in any life, right? People are more likely to gravitate to, to someone when you have a common enemy. Like, there's nothing that bonds people together than hating the same person. <laughs> and, and it's very true. Um, so then Lala goes outside, and she decides to call Rachel. And you can see how emotional she is and how she has been for the past few months prior to this about those last five minutes. So a lot of people are saying that um, Lala calling Rachel is clearly just to try to get her back on the show at that point, um, because this is still episode one, and this was still a point where people thought that Rachel was coming back, so people thought that this was calculated, and I'm sure that it was. Um, and just to clarify, so she goes outside, and then she leaves with this voice note where she says, um, Rachel or Raquel, I hope you're doing okay. And I hope that you are open to a conversation sometime soon. Then she says that Rachel saw it and, and that was it. And she she's basically like, I, I don't want her to wear this scarlet letter forever. So it's so interesting because Lala's having a really hard time separating what happened to her to what happened to Rachel. And yes, there are similarities, but these are different people and different circumstances. But she's having such a hard time not empathizing with Rachel because she feels like she was also manipulated. And so she understands what Rachel was going through um and despite the fact that everybody thinks this is totally set up and Lola doesn't give a fuck you may not recall but like right after that last final five minutes aired I think um she was interviewed in an airport by like TMZ or something and she seemed really like upset about it she had also done watch what happens live that night with Tamara and she said you know like that that really shook her and you know so I really do think that she had been sitting on it for a while and at first I thought like, okay, well, the reunion was in March and this didn't air and this season one, or sorry, episode one of season 11 didn't start filming until the last week of June or uh, first week of July. So, okay, yeah, this looks totally fake then that she sat on this for four months, but she wouldn't have seen that last final five minutes until like, I think it was mid-June when that re part three of the reunion aired. So it really was actually only a few weeks or maybe even two weeks that she had been sitting on these feelings that she had after seeing that final five minutes of, Ra of Raquel explaining how much Tom had manipulated her and how she felt so isolated. Um, so then we see Katie go to Tom's to pick up the dogs. Katie said that after 12 years together, Schwartz is not her problem anymore, which is great. Um, so aside from the dogs, Tom doesn't get access to her life after the way he spoke about her last year. And yeah, there was a lot of terrible things that he said about her on camera. Um, so she's basically saying we don't really have a relationship. Um, and there's a power dynamic shift where she's basically saying no. And Tom says that he was reading the room last night and Ariana isn't happy with him. And, um, he says that he loves Ariana and Katie says that she hopes that Tom Sandoval is crying at boot camp and, uh, Schwartz says that Sandoval cries a lot, which we know. Then we see Lala meeting up with Sheena and Lala and Katie for a drink. And Katie is talking about how she saw Schwartz that day and he said he misses Ariana and Ariana said, well, that's too bad. Lala says, let's play devil's advocate for a minute. So Schwartz needs to change his life, but look at the mental abuse that Sandoval has put on him for years. And Ariana says, yeah, like I've been going through that process too mentally. I just started like unlearning the things that he has put in me. He had told her to be careful around Katie, so she's sort of unlearning that. 
And Lola said, do you feel that way about me too? Like, I just don't know if you like me or you tolerate me. And she starts tearing up and Ariana's like, I like you. And Lala cries and she's like, I know I can be intense. I'm very sensitive and I feel like I've been a dog in everyone else's fight and I feel like I'm left to fight my own fight. And Lala says that her biggest downfall with Ariana has been that Ariana's always been a tough nut to crack. But I think we're going to see such a redemption for their friendship this season without Tom. And Ariana says, like, I'm sorry, like, I didn't trust your judgment. And Lala says she just needs to be honest. And she confesses to Ariana that in that last five minutes of Raquel... Um, talking on the reunion where she said if she doesn't follow what Tom told her, she won't have anyone. She says to Ariana that she didn't want others to wear that, so she sent a message last night and wanted Ariana to know. And then you should see Katie's face. It was just like, gossip, oh my goodness, juicy tea, like mouth wide open. And Ariana says to the camera, it's wild because if anyone interacted with Lala's ex, she would have cut someone's balls off. So she feels like if the shoe were on the other foot and she had reached out to Randall's mistress, she wouldn't be happy with Ariana. And I agree. Um, but I think Lala's just having such a hard time because she feels so personally connected to this. And because she feels like this is something hap that happened to her, it just, it's really weighing on her that this is happening to somebody else. Um, Ariana said that she knows that Rachel and Tom are still in contact and Lala's like, okay, but like, hear me out. My ex made me sign an NDA and the girls are just like, listen, like it's different people. Something different is happening. You need to understand that. And Ariana's like, like Raquel came to my house when I was crying in January and she was consoling me when she knew that Tom and I were together. And Lala's like, I know, but I just know this feeling. And Katie's explaining like, this is different because these were her ride or die. And Sheena's like, what she did to me, like, don't forget about that. And Sheena said that if the only thing Raquel did wrong was to have an affair, maybe one day they could be friends. But because she had put a restraining on her, like a restraining order on her, they're done forever. But Lala says to the girls, like, I want you to know I'm in your corner. And then the episode ends with Tom getting out of the car at night, coming home from special forces. And he says, hello. And the house seems empty. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, I really, I, if you listen to my first episode, I talked about how disjointed I thought this season was going to be with so many, with, with just all the fractures in the relationships and the fact that they bringing in all of these random characters like T and Billy Lee and Joe and all of this stuff. And it's so clear from this first episode that they are gearing this or catering this towards the idea that Rachel is coming back because everybody thought Rachel was coming back. So I thought that that was going to make these episodes so much more disjointed but it didn't like I am so impressed with these producers I just wish I had this talent or of the video editing whatever it is of putting this together because like I said I just thought this was going to be so inorganic so fake so produced looking and it just wasn't I just thought it was a good episode episode one is usually just catching up with people but I still feel like we got some tea I feel like we got a little bit of drama I really like the episode and I'm really looking forward to the season I feel like this is going to be a good one and I had said earlier on in my first episode that I really thought we'd be done after season 11 because like these people are in their 40s. They don't work at Sur anymore. They don't really have a relationship with each other. But I don't know. I'm invested. I'm still in. I I, I hope there's more. Um, but anyways, I will keep recapping these episodes, obviously, every week. Um, Vanderpump Rules is my jam. And I will continue also recapping Rachel Goes Rogue as Rachel is talking about these episodes. Because it's funny because she's talked about so much on the show but she's not going to be able to give a response as she's not on it. But I, I am going to be sort of curious to hear how her response is to things that are said about her on the show. So that is it for Vanderpump Rules. That's my opinion! Okay, let's get into news of the week. 
So the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion filmed last week, and here is the seating chart. So to Andy's right, we have Sutton, then Garcelle, then Crystal. And to Andy's left, we have Kyle Richards, Erica Jane, Dorit Kemsley, and Anne-Marie. So, of course, Kyle has first seat. Really interesting that Sutton does. I think this is because um, we're going to have a lot of discussion around the Kyle and Sutton um, disagreements. It's interesting where Anne-Marie is put all the way at the end. I mean, as she should, but at the same time, she has been so central in the controversy that it's interesting that she's put so far at the end. Because when you think of Monica, for example, who was the first probably ever first time housewife to get first chair, Anne-Marie is pretty heavily involved in the drama that's going on right now. But at the same time, I think we're probably only halfway through the season. So I guess we'll see. Um, I also thought Crystal should be higher up because again, she's involved in a lot of the um, discussions revolving Anne-Marie. And while she didn't seem to get into that many issues with Dorit on camera, there has been a ton of stuff that has been going on off camera that I was discussing with you guys last week in terms of comments that, um, not just off camera, but on camera in the confessionals that Crystal is only seeing now. So um, just really negative comments that Dorit has made about Crystal's marriage and Crystal coming back at that. So um, I think the seating chart for the most part makes sense. I actually think Erica probably could have been at the end somewhere as well because she wasn't really involved in anything because she gave up fighting for Lent, right? So she really wasn't as integrally involved in some of the drama. But I definitely want to see something happen between Dorit and Garcella. I want to see if they can ever come back together or just decide not to ever be friends because Garcelle and Dorit have a lot of resentment towards each other. Um, also, apparently, Kathy Hilton showed up randomly to make a cameo at the reunion, so that'll be interesting. She did not appear on the season whatsoever, so it's weird that she showed up to the reunion, but this is what we heard. We also heard that Sutton had to be taken away and go to the hospital, and that Garcelle went with her. So this is the second year that there was no cheers. Last year it was because, um, Kathy was, or sorry, Kathy was there, and, uh, Kyle was so upset and crying, and this year because, I guess, half of the cast had to leave and go to the hospital. But that is all the information I have on that right now. Um, then we have some beef between Kristen Doty and Lola Kent. So, um, as you may recall, I mentioned on my podcast last week that Lala had done an Amazon Live where someone asked her if um, she had listened to Kristen's podcast and she said, I don't know her. And then someone said, do you listen to Kristen Doty's podcast? And she said, oh, I didn't know she had still a podcast. So Lala, I guess, was alerted, or sorry, um, Kristen was then alerted to this, I guess, and did not know that Lala was mad at her and went on her podcast over the weekend, Sex, Love, and What Else Matters, with her boyfriend Luke to discuss the situation. So she said that her understanding is that back in November when she did um, Zach Peter's live show, No Filter with Zach Peter, for Thanksgiving, she was doing the show with... Reza from Charles the Sunset and Gigi, also from Charles the Sunset, was going to be there. She told Zach, hey, Gigi and I don't get along. She really doesn't like me. Um, he's like, do you want me not to put you on stage at the same time? And she was like, no, no, I'm like, I'm a professional. I just, I'm just letting you know. She was also pregnant at this time. So she, these are just all the details that she provided. So she says that Gigi started saying some really negative stuff about Lala and she felt uncomfortable by it, but she didn't say anything. So it's her understanding that Lala is really upset by the, ups uh, the things that Gigi said and the fact that Lala didn't stand up for her. And Luke comes into this and he's just like, it's so immature. How can you expect someone like in, in a real deep friendship to resolve an issue if you're just going to ignore them and expect that they're going to figure it out for themselves and figure out why you're mad at them. That's not real friendship. That's not how adults work. 
And I was just like, yeah, I cannot believe Lola would be so petty and so immature. And just if you have a real friendship with someone, tell them what's going on. So then I was talking to my friend um, Amber over at Breaking the Rules Pod about this. And she's like, did you actually see the video of what Gigi said? And I'm like, no, I didn't. So I'm just going to play that for you now. Um, a, a clip of that uh, from Zach Peter's show back in uh, November. Do you think you and Lala could ever melt the ice and become friends? Yes. yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I her well. I wish that. her well. You know, listen, I saw a lot, and I think the whole world saw a lot with the whole Randall situation, right? I think she had her truth, but her truth was just, it was put on a, a weird display. I had an opinion about that. I said, your child is only going to suffer from this. And then I became the enemy all of a sudden. I'm so sorry. You know what I mean? And she has this whole situation. She has an ego complex. She needs to get off her fucking high horse. You know, stop with the tight ponytails. I really don't know where the eyes are going at this point. You know, it's just, it, I can't. No, really, they got tighter and tighter. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I wish her well, though. Do you think that there could be some mending, though, in the future? <laughs> I'm, I'm older than her. I'm, I'm on a different level than her. You know what I mean? I wish her well. A teacher. Well, but I feel like, you know, motherhood could bond you guys. You guys both have toddlers. No, we don't have anything in common because I would never put my child in that situation to create her father as being an enemy. I would never do that. Okay, wow. So Gigi is crazy harsh there. Now, if you actually go and watch the video, and you can watch this, um, I think, on Bywig Hello Drama or Breaking the Rules Pod, a, a lot of people have this video posted. You'll see that Kristen was actually laughing during the entire thing, and she's leaning over to Reza, like kind of laughing into his lap. The things that Gigi is saying are horrific about Lala, your close friend, and you're laughing hysterically about it and not jumping in whatsoever. So after having listened to this clip and watched it, I feel a bit differently because the things that Gigi is saying are like very damaging and just even just implying that Lala is a bad mother is just really fucked up. And for, Lala, and for Kristen to be laughing about that, that kind of changes things. And the reason that it changes things is because if you don't feel that there is resolution in a friendship, which Lala may feel, she may feel that this was so egregious to her that there's no resolution, to her, she may have just felt there was no reason to follow up with Kristen because she is done. Um, it's just interesting because it seems like, a, as I've mentioned in a few episodes, something is going on with Kristen and her friends. And I just wonder if she's worried at all because it seems like she's lost a lot of people. Um, what do we have next? Okay, so Drunk Drawn. I don't know if you guys know this account. It's this guy who draws like these sort of hilarious, exaggerated pictures of the housewives, I guess. I don't really know how to explain like what it is. He calls it intoxicating art. Um, so he drew this one of Anne Marie in which she looked like very sort of like big and muscular, which we know she is. Um, she's a workout junkie and we, we've seen her arm. She's got quite a bit of muscle, um, but it just appeared a little bit different um, in the photo. So I'm going to read to you Anne Marie's response to this. 
Okay, so Anne-Marie made a post saying, in case anyone wants to understand the level that I've been dealing with, here you go. I'm a black woman and I am a former collegiate athlete. I wake up at 4.30 a.m. every day to work out and I'm proud of the muscles and body that I have earned. Wiley added that she is proud to show off the strong body that she has worked so hard for and she shared her height and weight. She then called out Drunk Drawn directly. Drawing a black woman as a gorilla is disgusting and completely unacceptable. Black women are strong and beautiful. Throughout history, black women have been villainized as combative, aggressive, angry, dangerous, and animalistic at every opportunity, Wiley wrote, adding that she has dealt with other microaggressions and name-calling since joining the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. This is an entirely different level of racism and hatred, Wiley wrote. Enough of the racism and enough of cyberbullying. Shame on you, Drunk Drawn. So Drunk Drawn then made a post saying, I made a mistake. If you follow me, you know I exaggerate the human form and behavior in pop culture. I want to acknowledge the recent post I made of Anne-Marie Wiley. I've seen both Anne-Marie's response and several followers mention the racism this triggers and I should have known better. I want to make it clear this was not my intention. Please forgive me and know that I will carry this lesson with me and do better going forward. So I'm feeling really bad for Anne-Marie. She is really coming under fire um, in the media and... I'm kind of actually worried she's going to lose her job. Like, I sort of wonder if, like, this is all worth it for her. Um, so in other news, Denise Richards went on Jeff Lewis and did an interview with him and implied that at the weed dinner that they had had at Kyle's house, where Denise was acting a bit erratic, as you may recall, um, she sort of calls out the chef, blaming it on the fact that it's possible that she was given too much substances in her food and the chef was called the herbal chef and so he actually made an instagram post to this and he wrote at denise richards you are such a damn liar denise it's embarrassing and you should be ashamed of yourself let me tell you what really happened denise walked into kyle's house absolutely obliterated my first slurred words her first slurred words to me were do you know who i am followed by a bunch of other gibberish that we could barely make out in every interview since this episode aired, you have acted as if you had no idea what was going on. We must have slipped something in your food or bottled water. Really? We went over how the evening would go with you and everyone else at the table, including spe specifying how dosages worked and that table include, or sorry, and that we take our responsibility very seriously, especially when someone would rather abstain from cannabis. It would be detrimental to my business if we left our guests incapacitated, don't you think? See, this should have been such a beautiful moment for cannabis and the positive influence it can have in one's life if consumed responsibly. We take pride in our work and I have built an unparalleled level of trust with the community and world at large throughout the years of dedication to educating our guests and the curious minds around us through seminars, dinners, expos, and social media. It has been painstaking to try and showcase the credibility of the science behind cannabis and its uses. Your feeble ego can't even admit that you have something else going on and arrived under the influence from something else, that you have to try and blame others instead of taking responsibility. Um, and then he also made a comment, then you have the audacity to say, how could you at Kyle Richards throw this part if she's sober? Or you think at the pretty mess said that she was fucked up. You were in another realm and it was only you. Because spoiler alert, you have some deep-seated issues that you are clearly working through in your own heart. Not surprised one bit that cannabis doesn't agree with you. It has a tendency to mirror one's truest self. And the, and the enablers at JL Jeff Lewis, you should be ashamed of yourself too. Did you not watch the episode and just felt it was your duty to suck up to every single person sitting across from you in that chair? Continued. I mean, wild. It, it is really fucked up to accuse 
um, an organization of, of like drugging you basically. And the way I understood that it sort of worked, despite the fact, I mean, Denise said she didn't want any at all. And I'm sure that they, they were literally writing this down on paper and making sure that everyone had their right specifications. I'm sure they were very careful about that thing. And Denise had said she didn't want any. Plus my understanding is like, if you had said you wanted five grams, milligrams of cannabis, that was spread out throughout your entire meal. So there was appetizers, there was dessert, there was the main course. And so for you to get that five milligrams, for example, you would have had to have ex um, consumed every ounce of all of the food that was put in front of you. And I think the most anyone did was five, which is basically nothing. Um, so it's just, it, it, what she said doesn't make sense. And it is extremely damaging to somebody else's business to say that kind of thing. Um, then we have some very more disturbing news um, coming out of the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls trip. So we know that there was the Real Housewives of Ultimate Girls trip that was filmed in Morocco. We know that there was some sort of accusations by Caroline Manzo against Brandy Glanville. We know there was some kind of investigation. To be honest with you guys, I don't remember the outcome. I guess it was inconclusive or that it's still ongoing. Um, but then we ended up getting Roni Legacy... Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip prior to this one, even though this one was supposed to come first because it filmed first because all of this stuff was going on and then people keep saying now, okay, we're never going to see it. We're never going to see it. Now, Caroline Manzo is suing Bravo over this Glanville situation. So the article reads, while Caroline most certainly has issues with what she claims Brandy did in the moment, she's not suing her in this suit. Instead, she's suing Bravo, alleging that showrunners and producers were the ones who put Brandy up to it, encouraging her to pounce on CM, Caroline Manzo. Now she's suing Bravo for negligence, sexual harassment, sex slash gender discrimination, sexual battery, and other causes of action that she says violate state law in California and New York. Of course, Caroline is seeking major damages here. We've reached out to Bravo, no word back. So I was like, wow, that is super concerning. Um, then by wig, hello drama, um, found that these posts on Reddit that include the lawsuit document. So I'm just going to read those for you guys now. And I just want to mention trigger warning, the content in these lawsuit documents can be upsetting. So if you find them upsetting, you can skip past here. Okay, so it says Manzo, Manzo walked onto the set and into the film shoot. Manzo made a conscious effort to be kind to Glanville in order to move past the argument between Glanville and Manzo. While on set, Manzo approached the bar to have a drink. Immediately, Manzo noticed that the castmates were drinking and some castmates appeared intoxicated. Throughout the trip, the other housewives would frequently comment to Manzo that she had large breasts. Cast members asked Manzo, are they real or are they fake? Later that evening, Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, Manzo and her castmates retreated to a couch near the bar to watch a snake handler. Cool. Clearly intoxicated, Glanville walked over to Manzo, spread Manzo's legs, and leaned into Manzo. She then laid her head on Manzo's inner thighs. Manzo pulled away and moved to the end of the couch. Manzo is five feet tall in height compared to Glanville, who is close to six feet tall. Exerting her dominance over Manzo, Glanville followed Manzo and sat right next to Manzo on the couch. Glanville proceeded to kiss Manzo with a closed mouth. Glanville then kissed Manzo again. Manzo was very uncomfortable. Glanville then proceeded to mount Manzo on the couch, holding Manzo down with her body, forcibly squeezed Manzo's cheeks together and thrust her tongue in Manzo's mouth while humping her. Manzo tried to push Glanville off her body. However, Glanville was restraining Manzo with her much greater weight, size, and strength and was unable to free herself. Eventually, Manzo finally freed her, was able to break free from Glanville. Manzo, distraught, scared, and confused, got up from the couch. She went over to hold one of the snakes in order to distract herself from the assault that had just occurred. Manzo tried to remain as calm as she could, all the while trying to comprehend what had just happened. When Manzo was seven years old, she was sexually assaulted. Glanville's sexual assault 
made all of these dormant and horrific memories immediately resurface. Manzo again felt like she was seven years old and began to relieve her previous sexual assaults in the context of this sexual assault. She was in a state of shock. Manzo overcame and distraught, then went to the bathroom to wash her hands. Brandy Glanville, Gretchen Rossi, housewife of New York, Alex McCord, housewife of New York, and Caroline Manzo walked into the bathroom at the same time. As Manzo stood at the sink washing her hands, Glanville entered the bathroom and came behind Manzo, forced her vagina against Manzo's buttocks, breasts against Manzo's back, wrapped her long arms around Manzo, forcibly restraining her, and began washing her hands with Manzo's hands entwined. Immediately, Manzo tried to exit the bathroom. The bathroom door was locked. Glanville pinned Manzo's body against the door. Glanville pressed her breasts and vagina against Manzo. Manzo tried to unlock the door, but could not get out. Glanville repeatedly hit Manzo's hand away from the door lock. Glanville then reached around Manzo's body and then groped, grabbed, and forcibly fondled Manzo's vagina and breasts. At the same time, Glanville pushed her face into Manzo's neck in order to kiss her. From inside the bathroom, Manzo cries, help, 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 but no one ever came. Defendants' producers are listening to the interaction on audio and even send one of them to the bathroom door to investigate, but he never opened the door or took any other kind of action to intervene and stop the sexual assault. Manzo, visibly shaken, was finally let out of the bathroom after housewife of New York, Alex McCord, saw what was happening and locked the bathroom door so Manzo could leave. After the sexual assault, Manzo, clearly shaken, tried to gather herself together, all the while thinking to herself, you are here to do your job, do your job, and proceeded to the dining room for dinner. At the dinner table, as Manzo was trying to regain her composure, defendant's employee Glanville screamed across the table to a crew member slash producer named Laser, a married man, I want to fuck you. Manzo proceeded to get it from the table to use the bathroom once again. Glanville tried to go into the bathroom twice that night again with Manzo. Glanville said, I'm going with you. You've had too much to drink. Manzo stated that she was not intoxicated and that she was fine. Glanville started massaging Manzo's breasts and Manzo objected, telling Glanville, I think it's time for you to leave. Manzo stated, I got abused. At one point, Eva, another cast member, stated, Brandy is over-accosting her and she wants it to stop, referring to Manzo. Defendants continued filming plaintiff throughout, even though she was in distress from the sexual assaults. Wow. I mean, that is wild. And it's so descriptive and so scary. And there has been some real back and forth on this. And I don't know why. I don't know if people feel that gender plays a role when it comes to sexual assault, because it doesn't. Sexual assault is sexual assault, irrespective of gender. Um, some people may also believe that what Brandy did was maybe more so being playful and that maybe Caroline is exaggerating the situation. This is what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago when, when I was talking more about sexual assault when we were talking about Potomac. Something can happen to you when you're young and then another incident then triggers that those memories and it makes it 10 times worse. That being said, I'm not saying that what um, is being alleged is not serious um, whatsoever, but what I'm saying is any kind of incident that can trigger your sexual abuse can make it 10 times worse, right? So as we read in there, you know, she had the sexual abuse incident when she's seven and this brought up all of these memories for her and made it so much worse. The interesting thing though is Glanville or Brandy uh, and, and everyone else is saying, release the footage, release the footage. And no one really seems on Caroline's side from the show. Like I haven't done a ton of research into this and um, I was just listening to some podcasts about it. I think you can listen, go listen to all about the Real Housewives. They mentioned that either Alex said she didn't see that happen or that they've all been posting pictures with Brandy and they've all been saying like release the footage. So that is confusing. 
but I hate to even say this, but like, why would Caroline lie? Like she's so specific here in these details. So this seems like super crazy. And I guess she had to go above and sue Bravo because she wasn't getting anywhere with the internal investigation that was going on. But 100% we're not going to see this footage, that's for sure. But I am very curious to see what comes of this and what is actually on the footage. Um, because according to Brandy, it's nothing. And according to Caroline, it's everything. So I'm really curious to see what comes of that. Um, and our last topic is uh, Joe Bradley and Danielle Oliveira. So Joe is from Southern Hospitality. Danielle is from Summer House. They met at BravoCon in November and they went like full speed ahead into a fast and furious relationship. He was on Watch What Happens Live last week with Luann. And there were all of these allegations um, that they were like super flirty with each other all night. And then um, Danielle posted this just like, I mean, it's obviously connected. She posted just like a black screen, white words in what world, <laughs> which was so funny. But then apparently Joe does a, um, an interview, like not long after saying that he's pumped the brakes with Danielle because they've moved very, very fast. I don't think that has anything to do with Luann because I agree that would be ridiculous, but I just love this story. I just think it's so cute and funny, but I do hope they work out. Um, I do think that Joe is a really sweet, cute guy. And I love all of these little long distance relationships from Southern not Southern Charm, but from South Carolina to New York, because I just love how Paige said it's only an hour flight away. So if you got to get out of your jurisdiction to date, I'm totally for it. And I'm totally for an hour flight. Okay, guys, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for listening early. I just really wanted to get this out to you guys. So I'm going to do another episode about uh, recapping Real Housewives of Potomac, Beverly Hills and Miami. And I will try to get that out either on Friday or Saturday. So until then, guys, you can listen to these podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Um, Google, Amazon, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I take Bravo very seriously. Subscribers really help the show grow. And so it is giving me a five-star rating. Please give me a rating. I'd really appreciate it. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at I take Bravo very seriously and at Brunch and Bravo. And you can follow me on TikTok at Brunch and Bravo. So have a good one until next time.